Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We are so grateful and honored that you would join us as we continue our exploration of a series that was started, which we titled Take Off. And Take Off is essentially a, a series about the ministry, the person, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And whether you have been a Christian for a long time or, uh, you know, you've been uh, recently uh, came to know Jesus or whether you're exploring this Christianity, it's important for you to know that the person of the Holy Spirit is critically important and essential, a foundational uh, understanding of God must involve the person of the Holy Spirit. So Christians believe in a triunity God, in a triune God, God the Father, the essence of love, God the Son, who is the expression of the mind of God, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of power. It's almost a three-dimensional God, if you like. He is one God in three persons, each doing their work in complete and utter union and satisfaction in their own relationship. God doesn't need us. You know, sometimes we think we need, uh, you know, to worship God or honor God or follow God as if He's lacking something that would be given to Him as a result of our adoration. But God is in complete unity. He's in complete contentment and satisfaction in His persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And over the past few episodes, we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit as, as God, uh, as a person, as a comforter. We looked at the nature uh, of the Holy Spirit through the different symbolism associated with Him uh, throughout the Scripture. We looked at the ministry of the or the function of the Holy Spirit. And then we began to look at how we can relate to the Holy Spirit. Because you and I, you probably already know what I'm about to say. You and I cannot live the Christian life the way it was intended to be lived without the ministry, the abiding, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot have life in our spiritual life without the spirit of life, which is the Holy Spirit. So we, in turn, need to learn how to relate to the Holy Spirit so we can live in a different realm. You see, some people try to live with God in their own capabilities, through their own performances, you know, manufacturing willpower and hard work and studies and the like. They're trying to please God with their own personal capabilities and experiences. But the scripture tells us that it's not by power and not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we 
have suggested that there is a premise and a promise to this particular series of encountering and living with the Holy Spirit. That you can either live in the realm of the flesh as if you're walking with God in your own natural capabilities or you can fly with God where you're almost carried by a divine uh, person. We said it this way, living by the flesh as compared to living by the Spirit of God is like walking on a plane that is natural and that's slow and that's you know subjected to the realities and the laws of nature. Or we can be flying by a plane where we're under an extraordinary influence of aerodynamics and mechanics and technologies and the like. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He carries us. He enables us to live this life that we are gifted by God to live it in a way that Jesus exists exemplified on planet earth. He died and rose again and purchased for us the right to live as partakers of divine nature, to exemplify the character and competencies of Jesus, to transform our world, not by our own capacities, but realizing that we are nothing just like passengers on a plane, but the engineers and the genius of the inventors and the capacity of the pilots are what really taking us to our destiny. We can't claim credit and that's the Christian life where we can't boast about what we can do, but we can boast in the Lord, the Holy Spirit that enables our every endeavor in life with God. He gives us the capacity, everything that pertains to life and godliness because we're partakers of His divine nature. And we said to relate with God, the Holy Spirit, in order to live this way involves three primary relationships and, and three primary aspects. First, and we spoke about that last time, that we get indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we repent, when we accept a new identity, when we believe on Jesus as a Savior and Lord, and then we invite the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to indwell us like temples of God. Uh, the, the second one is being filled by the Spirit and the third one is being overflowing with the Spirit. And today we're just going to focus on being filled by the Spirit and in the next two episodes we're going to focus on, on overflowing uh, by the Spirit. And uh, I don't know about your experiences of what is being filled of the Spirit. Uh, you know, different denominations and different uh, uh, scholars, very smart people, far more smart and educated and theologically informed and, and far more uh, capable than I am, have suggested diverse ways of understanding the filling of the Spirit and different denominations focus on one aspect of another. I will only share with you my understanding, what I've received from my teachers, what I've discovered in the scriptures, an orthodox view, biblical view of uh, being filled, what I observed around me with God honoring people uh, it, throughout decades of ministry and walking with Jesus. It doesn't mean it's the only understanding of being filled of the Spirit, but it's to the best of my 
my capacity, what I understand the scripture and what my teachers have taught me over the years. Uh, however, I have been to some Pentecostal churches uh, where the filling of the Spirit is probably discussed as a second blessing, as baptism of the Spirit. It's something that happens sensationally where somebody prays over you potentially and sometimes experience, uh, you know, emotive uh, manifestations. Some people fall to the ground. Others experience different uh, feelings and, and, and alike. I recall uh, in the early 2000s where uh, we visited a Pentecostal church, we and a family, our best friends, and we had our kids who were pretty young at the time. They were all under the age of seven. And we went to visit this church for the first time. We've never been there before. We've never been in a Pentecostal church before. And uh, we were greeted with some warm ushers. They were so friendly. They offered to lead us to our seats, usher us to our seats. Uh, we went all the way. It was a, a pretty big auditorium. Uh, we noticed that they were leading us to the very front. And, and look, we got a little bit scared. We haven't been there before. So we, we excused ourselves and we sat maybe third or so row from the front. The, the music was exuberant. The band was exciting. Uh, they had a, a significant time in worship. And then uh, it seemed like a pastor or an elder or a leader, I don't know, uh, came up the front and invited people who wanted, you know, to experience the Holy Spirit to come up the front and they'll pray over them. As the people came up and that particular pastor and others would pray over them, some people would fall on the ground and others were somehow pre-prepared for that and they would lay some uh, sheet on them. Uh, but what attracted our attention was that as soon as someone fell to the ground, and many of them did, the pastor would give someone else a high five. And it's like something that you're accustomed to if your sporting team scored a goal and you're high-fiving someone else in, in, in uh, you know, exhilarating joy. And, uh, and it, it kept on happening and some people fell within 30 seconds to a minute. And the pastor would literally leave them and pray over somebody else. It's like he's not praying over these people again. Well, it's done deal now. And I am... Uh, you know, I was a little bit shocked. All of us were a little bit, you know, looking at it and learning what's happening. But the kids were, you know how kids are so honest. And, 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 and one of, of the kids looked at his dad, my, my friend. He looked up like that. I could honestly still imagine him. And with a voice that others within five kilometer radius would have heard, he said, Dad, Dad. Why is this lady pretending to be dead? Oh man, we just wanted to run for our life. It was crazy and uh, we're so embarrassed. But the reality is that the pastor and the elders and others, I don't doubt their motivation. I'm sure they were godly people that want to see the move of the Spirit of God in their church. Uh, I, I, I don't doubt that some people experience a supernatural power from above that rendered them so weak they couldn't even hold themselves. I believe that I've experienced something of that type of experience before. But as a, an, 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 a, a person who is... Um, a visitor, an external person looking from the outside in, 
it did look a little bit suspicious and, and it did look a little bit weird. And, and I imagine, uh, you know, some people would be put off because of that. Uh, some people will be excited because of the fun and, uh, and the buzz that are associated with this type of occurrences. But others may have been, you know, feel that it was a little bit distasteful or, or they feel scared of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, what makes me a little bit heartbroken is the feeling of the Spirit has become associated with manifestations of power. And filling of the Spirit, as you would see with me today, from a biblical perspe perspective, is better than that. It's far more reaching than that. It's far more practical than that. It's not just an experience of something dynamic that occurs and everybody walks out as if nothing has happened to them, but it's very real. It's a lived experience with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's, it's sad when people receive the Holy Spirit and almost like they open the door for Him and they say, you know what, Holy Spirit, we're so glad you came into our home. We're so glad that the Trinity is making their abide in our home. But listen, how about you spend time in the kitchen providing for our needs? Look, you know, every time we need something, we'll let you know. Uh, you can cook for us a beautiful meal. You can provide for, for, for our needs. You're, you're such a kind, gentle spirit. You know, the kitchen is your place, you know. Enjoy it, you know. Make sure it's clean and healthy and, and make sure it's creating for us the best possible, uh, you know, uh, health provision. Uh, but other than that, uh, we're going to spend most of our days in the lounge room watching TV because you know what? You haven't seen that latest reality uh, show, Holy Spirit. Uh, oh man, we can't miss that out. And, and you know what? We're just going to make some decisions about our kids' schooling. We're going to make some decision about our time and our finances. You know, we've got business to do, but hey, 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 if we need you, I promise you, Holy Spirit, we're going to raise the hand. We're going to, you know, ring the bell uh, and you're there. We know you're there. So, People can sometimes receive the Holy Spirit and just put Him to the side. But others take the next step in their relationship with the Holy Spirit and they receive what we mean by living a life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the most, uh, I guess, easiest uh, um, passage of the Scripture and the most concrete explanation of the idea of being filled with the Spirit comes in the New Testament. Uh, obviously, Acts chapter 2, we experience the three, uh, the, the, the three encounters, the indwelling, the filling, and the overflowing in one. Uh, that experience is not repeated. It's like the Calvary experience. The whole church received that in one hit. But in the letter of Paul, uh, to the Ephesians, which uh, potentially was to the church in Ephesus, amongst other churches in the region, which they call a uh, circular, uh, circular uh, letter that was sent to diversity of churches. Paul wrote that letter uh, in uh, uh, 
potentially from Rome around 60 AD when he was in prison. He wrote a a letter to the church in Colossae and then he wrote this letter uh, that was going to be circulated to other churches. Some manuscripts don't have the word Ephesus in there because it may have been a gap uh, that, that, that the church would just insert its name when it, when it receives the first greeting in chapter 1. And in that particular book, uh, Paul explains to the believers their new standing in Christ, their new society that's being created because they accepted Christ, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, they're now united in Christ and they're given a new life. And there, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul speaks to them about their blessing, about the doctrine, about their position in Christ. You know, he speaks to them about being in the heavenly realm, blessed with every blessing, that they've been predestined, that they've been loved, that they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that they've experienced the forgiveness of sin and the redemption. And, and, and he explains the unity between the, uh, uh, the, the, the different uh, ethnic backgrounds and, and speaks of the the mystery of God that is now manifested in the church. He prays for them that they will be filled with the fullness of God, that they would know the width, the heights, and the length, and the depth of a love of Christ. So the first three chapters, it's a clear uh, explanation. It's an amazing, beautiful symphony of the blessing, the standing of the Christian, the doctrine of being united in Christ, being saved by grace through faith, being seated, uh, you know, with Christ in the heavenly places, you know, living in a different realm than simply the natural realm. And now starting from chapter 4, Paul begins to explain the ethical implication, uh, the beliefs, then now he's talking about the behavior. He spoke about the the doctrines in the first three chapters. Now he speaks about their duties as, uh, you know, people that are followers of Jesus. In fact, literally you can't separate it separate the two aspects of the gospel, the the doctrine and the duties, the life that it gets manifested because of the reality of who we are. It simply speaks of their identity in the first three chapters as people who are now united to Christ. But then he speaks about the calling of how to live that out. So in in Ephesians chapter 4, which is the beginning of the ethical chapters, he speaks about as a Prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he's talking to them about, therefore, based on all that I taught you, you need to live a life worthy of your calling. And smack bang in the middle of the the chapters 4, 5, and 6 that speaks about how do we live in unity and maturity, how do we relate to the family, how to relate to our children, how to relate in the work environment, how we stand against the attack of the enemy. In the 
practicalities of all of that, Paul gives a diamond. He gives a treasure of a scripture, a passage that highlights the centrality of being filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live that practical Jesus-like life. You can't live that Jesus-like life, according to Paul, unless you've been filled by the Holy Spirit. And here is the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says this, Do not get drunk on wine. That is the first aspect. Do not get drunk on wine. That will lead to horrible, wicked living. It says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, essentially, Paul is comparing the idea of being filled by the Holy Spirit with someone that is drunk or filled with wine. Why is that? Because that's the definition of being filled. Being filled, much like being drunk, you are controlled by a substance. You are controlled by another. Sometimes in the slang we say this person is under the influence. They're under the influence of a substance. Maybe this misused a substance and they experience the influence of that. You know, somebody who's drunk, they didn't just have a sip. They've continually drunk and if they're going to continually be drunk they need to continually receive more of that substance over a period of time but then they act in a way that almost out of their own control and exactly that's what it means by being filled by the spirit where the spirit is basically dominate takes control of our faculties that we are under the control or under the positive influence, the godly divine influence of the Holy Spirit. There is one thing that the Holy Spirit will abide in us and another that will surrender control of our lives. It is one thing that you would invite me to ride with you in your car. It's another to ask me to drive and to control the destiny of our trip. And the same thing, to be filled with which in the exact interpretation of that phrase, it means to be ever filled, to be ever filled. That's a continuous, a present continuous state of being under the control of the Spirit. Again, in the Gospels, we read the same word of being filled as people being filled with wrath or controlled by wrath and anger. That means something else is taking control over us. So, in a very simple way, to be filled by the Spirit means to give control of our lives to the Spirit. Many people think that to be filled by the Spirit is to get more of the Spirit. The reality is you can't get more of a person. You can't get more of a divine being. He entrusts Himself to us as soon as we repent and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. But now... It's not that we get more of the Spirit. The reality is that being filled by the Spirit means He gets more of you. 
It's not that you get more of the Spirit, but that He gets more of you. That means He controls every aspect of your life. Maybe when you first came to Christ, you surrendered your relationships or you surrendered your finances or you gave the Spirit control over your ambition or maybe you gave the Spirit control over your decision-making process, whatever it might be. But maybe over time, you began to take away some of the control of your life. You may holding into a particular thing that you treasure because you say, this relationship, Lord, you know, you can take everything but leave that for me. Or this hobby or this, this particular ambition or this money, I, I, I'm going to be in control of that. But the more we are surrendered or the more we allow ourselves to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, the more we get filled by the Spirit, because you can't fill a cup of water unless it's empty. You see, the more we allow the Spirit to take control of us, the more we are being filled by the Spirit. Some people say being filled by the Spirit, the sign of that is speaking in tongues. And I appreciate that, that speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit. But we read in the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul uh, asked a rhetorical question. says, uh, uh, do we all speak in tongues? Do we all do this or do we all do that? And, uh, and, and the literal uh, uh, you know, meaning of that question demands a no for an answer. So not everybody speaks in tongues. So therefore it can't be a sign of being filled of the Spirit. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us three more practical signs of people who are filled of the Spirit. He actually gives us five signs, but we can assign three of them under one category and the other two under two categories. The first one, people who are filled by the Spirit, are spirit they have Spirit-empowered worship. In Ephesians 5, 19, it says, It's speaking to one another with psalm, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Can you see that? They, he's saying those people who are filled by the Spirit, they overflow with psalms, with songs, with hymns, spiritual hymns, and all that comes from the Spirit. They're making melody. They're making music in their heart to the Lord. They're worshiping God. They're adoring God. They're speaking of God everywhere. But you know what is so beautiful about that? It's not limited to a Sunday worship or an, a, a Christian experience because he's saying it's speaking to one another. You know how when you talk to your friends and something is in the back of your mind, something saturating your mind, you accidentally overflow with that? It, whatever is saturating you, you speak about it. When you saturated with adoration for Jesus, when you saturated with the glory of God, when you're consumed by His awesome character, guess what? You try to talk to other people and you accidentally adore Jesus. You are overflowing with music in your heart to the Lord because you can't help but be overwhelmed. You see, I'm... I've seen people and my father in his ministry, seen people who are filled by the Spirit. They're just in a different realm when it comes to worship. They're singing, they're whistling, they're celebrating Jesus everywhere. So if you want to know whether you have been uh, filled by the Spirit, you want to ask yourself whether you're immersed in worship. 
throughout the day. Whether and, 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 and the question that I will propose to you is, what saturates my mind? His honor or mine? What saturates my mind? His honor or mine? You see, people who, who, who overflow with worship are people who are saturated with the goodness of God. You know, this, uh, in, in, I think in the book of James, it says, if anybody amongst you, uh, you know, is rejoicing, let him, let him sing songs. It's, it's, it's when we're saturated in love and enjoying the presence of God. If he takes over our mind, we are looking for his honor, not ours. We are speaking to impress uh, people with his character, not ours, not, uh, you know, PR a promotional campaign about our own goodness or about our own abilities or about our own achievement. No, 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 no. We're not honoring ourselves because we're saturated with His honor. The second thing, spirit-empowered worldview. Spirit-filled people, look at what Paul says about them in Ephesians 5.20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That's insane. It's saying the giving God the Father thanks. They are thankful for everything. You see, just in the past few weeks, I've, I've had an experience of a health scare and, and, a, and a prolonged stay in the hospital, which something should have been very easy, got complicated. And I would confess to you so many times during my wandering in the hospital, looking at the ceiling and watching the clock tick one minute at a time where I didn't have the energy to think or, or do anything else. You know, my natural feelings, it was not thankful to God for everything. I would have been thankful to God if he allowed me to be released from the hospital quickly without any complication. I would have been thankful to God if I'm a around my family and experiencing the love that we share. I would have been thankful to God if I'm sitting with that pain and walking with that agony. But the reality is being thankful to God comes back to God's agendas. Do I trust Him that His ways, His agendas, His hopes, His dreams, His wisdom is far better than mine? Do I trust Him more than I trust myself? So if you want to know whether you are controlled by the Spirit and you become immovable in the Spirit, then let that question resound in your mind. What controls my emotions? His agendas, his agenda or mine? If you're controlled by his agenda, if you're submissive to his plan, if you truly trust, if I truly trust that God is good and good all the time, our emotions won't fluctuate so much that we are one day miserable and one day thankful, but we'll be thankful despite of what we can see is good for us. We can be grateful and thankful even though sometimes we're not comfortable, but we're grateful that God is doing something in our lives. Then the last thing is the spirit 
filled person, a spirit-empowered vessel. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. Submit is a hard word for us. It's a ranking word. It's a word of order. That means you allow someone else to go ahead of you. You go first. Your needs first. Your, your desires and your common good first. Uh, you know, I, I, it's like Jesus submitting himself on our behalf. It doesn't mean that you go around doing whatever everybody else wants. It's their good. Sometimes we don't tell people the truth in love because we worry that they're going to hate us or give us the cold shoulder when the reality is it might be for their best benefit. And this is if you're spirit-filled, you'll be asking, what motivates my actions? His people's benefits or mine? Sometimes looking after people's benefits is not patting them all the way into destruction, but it's standing in their way, wrestling for them in prayer, allowing their needs to be ahead of mine, allowing the, the, you know, the blessing of looking after others before I look after myself and my needs. Here is a well-rounded person who's given control of different areas of their life to the Holy Spirit. They live with a adoration, a, 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 a spirit-empowered worship that is supernatural. They live with a spirit-empowered worldview. They're not living for their agendas, but they trust God so much that they surrender to His agendas. they also spirit-empowered people with their wrestle to surrender, to live selfless, to put others' needs before them, to speak the truth in love regardless of the consequences. My heart prayer for you, that as you hear this, that you would surrender whatever area God prompts you to. And gradually over time, you will surrender many different areas to the control of the Spirit so that Jesus may be manifested in you and me. We love you. We pray for you. We're so looking forward to seeing you in our next episode. Until then, God bless.